everybody, and welcome to the Overthinkers Season 2, Episode 1. We took such a long hiatus that we're going <laughs> to actually go ahead and make this its own season. It's, it's just a good divider. It's a fresh start. And if you're wondering what we do on this podcast, just think about it. We don't have a bell. We don't have a bell anymore. The, the, the bell is here in spirit. It's, it's somewhere here, dude. Ding. <laughs> so, um, we are recording this episode virtually this time around because, of course, if this episode comes out within the next year, it will be common knowledge that there is a pandemic and that we are not supposed to be traveling uh, to each other's residences. If, 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 if more than two episodes get published within this decade, it'll be the most surprising thing to happen. <laughs> it'll, it'll be, be the, the most biggest, eventful thing. Yeah. It'll be the biggest upset in history. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to start with, um, I, I guess, recently, everyone's been wearing face masks. And there is like a lot of initial hesitancy for uh, people embracing face masks just because, you know, socially, like Americans don't wear face masks. And it's usually more common in like Asia and stuff like that. But I just wanted to say that I think face masks should be worn all the time, regardless of whether or not there is disease. And I, I have a couple of non-disease related <laughs> benefits to wearing face masks okay number one is generally the social cue of being obligated to talk to other people so <laughs> let's say let's say i'm on a walk right and i see someone right i, I don't want to be obligated to talk to them right and if i want to talk to them i can choose to talk to them but if you're wearing a face mask, it's like a social signal that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all sealed up in here. Like, it's not coming off. Like, my mouth is off limits, and I'm just, like, walking right past you, okay? I think it's like when you have headphones in, other people are obligated, you know, not to talk to you because they understand you're listening to music. But at least culturally, it's somewhat acceptable to force another person to take their headphones off if it's, like, someone you know well. But... The face mask is just such a powerful signal that you can just put it on and not be obligated to talk to anyone. So that's my first point of contention. My second point of contention is that face masks are like the best thing to ever happen for people with allergies, which I didn't realize until recently. And face masks just look so weird if you're the only one wearing them. But if everyone just wears them, regardless of whether or not they have allergies, then it does wonders for everyone who does since they become socially acceptable since everyone's doing it. That's your case? That, that's my case for face masks. All the time, everywhere, never take them off. The antisocial aspect, I think, is a little bit questionable. Because I feel <laughs> like not everybody shares this idea that they don't want to talk to people. Um, okay, but, but here's my thing, right? Let's say 40% of the population is antisocial and feels the same way that I do, right? <laughs> if, if you want to talk to the other person... You take down your face mask, right? It's so easy. You just take it down and you've indicated, right? Now I'm ready to talk. But if you choose to just keep it back up and keep moving on, at this point, we have developed a social norm which says, all right, that's fine. Like, no, no foul done. You can just keep on walking. So I feel like social people just briefly lowering their face mask to talk to the other person. Um, so you're you're, you're just suggesting this be like a... You're just suggesting this be like a new fashion trend. Because if there's not like a disease going around, if there's not like you don't have allergies, it serves basically no purpose. I mean, uh, there are some hygiene standards, but I don't really care about those. I'm mostly in it for 
you're just, just the like... ability to send such a strong social signal of <laughs> you know leave me alone like i'm just on my walk lost in my own thoughts and I, I don't know it just feels so but if only like three people do it then obviously they'll be super weird but if no, we can just agree what? as a society that everyone should wear them will eventually reach a critical mass where wearing a mask and talking to no one becomes socially acceptable, which I think is the ideal world. You no, know, and I, I perfectly agree with your, your theories of, of social social development. <laughs> That's pretty deep, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. But um but um I, I would just say I think there's a certain value in seeing another person's face properly. I mean they say that like the eyes are the big deal, right? And and that's true because like eye contact and like eye you know, I, uh, okay, I don't know all the scientific terms, but, but I send important signals, right? But I would argue that being able to see the expression on someone's face, being able to, like, smile for a picture, I mean, not that you can't take it down, but the whole concept of, like, concealing the mouth and, I mean, the nose isn't as important, but, like, concealing but, uh, the facial expression. What do you get from seeing someone else's nose and mouth? Like, what does that get you? I mean, I mean, it's just not so much that, but, like, I think that there are parts of, like, human existence that make okay, okay this isn't as well thought out as your theory i'm just kind of spitballing here not gonna lie um, <laughs> because my theory is foolproof it's your theory it's is genius. not foolproof because it's an opinion other than the, al- <laughs> the allergies is valid again but the, the the basis that everybody should wear face masks for the benefit of those that don't want to speak in my opinion is a bit of a flawed concept because that implies that like everybody wants to be in a situation where they don't want to feel welcome to speak to people. No, I'm just saying enough people do that everyone should just have the courtesy of wearing one so that the rest <laughs> of us can lead happy, This just seems like it, it's for the benefit. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like... I, I, I mean, just don't I know mean, how I go with that. I mean, that's another question. What percent of the population would have to feel the same way I do for you to feel comfortable about saying everyone should wear a face mask? I don't know. I mean, th- then you get into some serious talks about, like, liberties, you know? You get some, some serious, like... I think our libertarian audience would be a little bit disappointed by this discussion. I mean... <laughs> all, 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 all none of them. <laughs> oh, uh, and for the uh, for the politically inclined, we have a uh, segment a little later today that I think you'll enjoy. But, um... Okay, but uh, all I'm saying is that, to synthesize my discussion, right? Oh, Benefits right. of face masks that are non-disease related, right? One, allergies right two helps antisocial people really the only disadvantage that i see the face masks is that they get a little stuffy sometimes that they do that they do but i feel like that's solved by just taking down your face mask every once in a while which social people are going to be doing inevitably when they walk down the street and see someone they want to talk to but antisocial people can just have it the way they want to have it you you raise i I will say to synthesize my end of this i believe that you have a very you have a very interesting point you have a very interesting point about the social consequences of the masks that we're supposed to be wearing right now that I hadn't really considered. I, I, that's a very compelling, interesting thing that you brought up. I just believe that seeing other people's faces fully has some value to it when all else is equal. Um, I, I'm, and, I'm just saying, what what value does that add? I don't like, know. I, maybe it's a preference thing. You know, like you like, could just like just zoom call them later or go I, I on their mean, Instagram if you want to see their face. Again, like, what what is the benefit to seeing your face in person at that moment? I don't know. I just I just think, I mean I I can't I can't quantify it, and I I haven't thought it out as much as you have. I just I just think that us as social individuals, social beings, there there is value there, and I believe that psychology 
I'm not speaking from a place of authority, but I believe that 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 psycholo- psychology would back me up here to that, an extent. That just seeing, but if I'm saying it makes me happy, if I can just go for walks uninterrupted without having to talk to anybody, and still fit into, you know, general social cues, and masks help me do that. I don't see it from a psychological standpoint where you disagree with that. No, I mean, we're just talking about like should should the whole population. Masks, I mean, right? my argument is that, yeah, it should, because you have to reach the critical mass, which we both agree on, right? I think that we can both, I still think we can both agree, and, 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 and you know, we, 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 can, we can, there's some compromise to be made here, even but though you, none you, of this is actually going to, none of this discussion is actually going to result <laughs> in actual consequences. <laughs> but, okay, um, but, but you agree on critical mass, like, no, if, if enough people were. I agree. I just don't think that has to be everybody. Right, but I mean, if you just make it mandatory, inevitably some people are going to defect. But you'll reach the critical mass. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I I just yeah, but I I can also see potential where masks become like a fashion statement. I mean, weird stuff has become fashion statements before. See, but I I don't want masks to become a fashion statement. Like I still want masks to have disease-related attributes to them, because. Yeah, but that if- because if if they become a fashion statement then the social norm will progress to it's socially acceptable to take them off right because you're just wearing it as a fashion statement you see someone you know you're obligated to take it off talk to them but if there's still disease connotations surrounding the mask then it's like all right i I understand like he has it on i thought this whole discussion comes under the pretense that we're not in the midst of 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 an epidemic or pandemic or outbreak of disease yeah, I, I, I agree. There are non-disease-related benefits to wearing masks, but the only reason that that social taboo exists against like lowering your mask is because of the disease-related connotations of masks. I'm just saying that there are other side benefits to it, but if masks were just a fashion statement, then other people would just expect you to take them off, right? True, true. And I think that's the interesting thing, though, is because if, there, if it gets to the point you know, where this all passes, or we're in a state of time where there is place in time, whether state, whatever, whatever. If we're at a point in there, point in time where there is no, you know, um, no uh, biological threat, would the masks still carry that cue? And that's that's the other question: is is it reliant? Is it like dependent on this external factor? I, I think it is, because I think once you progress to a time once there's like general public safety, I think most people will just have the expectation for you to take your mask down. I don't think that's happening for a while. Um, Agreed. And I think that's sort of the silver lining for me of the whole situation. But um, yeah, I honestly hope that social standard stays because it's it's been nice for me at least. I understand, but but realistically, how much talking did you do before? Maybe we got to frame. I want to frame you know the issue that you're presenting with some with some context. Like, to what extent did you feel like you had to socially interact with other people out and about just on a walk or going around, whatever you're doing, before versus after. Like, what's the difference there? Okay, okay. So th- this is, I feel like there, there are two benefits, right? The first are with people that, you know, like you, you know, um, if you really know someone and you see them walking, then obviously you want to talk to them, right? I think we can all agree that that's a situation where you take off your mask or whatever, you say hi, you have a conversation. I mean, if I saw you walking down the street, like, I would say hi, I, I would talk to you. Yeah, I mean, obviously. But there are some people who you only, like, sort of know. And if you're just on a walk, maybe you don't want to, like, stop and <laughs> Wait, feel obligated to talk I, to I them. Kinda, I kind of feel that. I'm not going to lie. I kind of I know what you're getting at there. So, 
my contention is that in those scenarios, right, having a mask means that you can just sort of uh, walk away without having to engage in a conversation, right? The second is with people that you don't know, right? You're not even obligated to like give them like one of those like half smiles, if you know what I'm talking about, because <laughs> no. you can just walk past and there, there's no socially acceptable facial expression that you're obligated to make. And so Wait, I you, like, you don't know that you don't know the half nod up. You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah, the, I, know, I understand what I love. Does. I love the like half nod up. Like that's where it's at. I, I'm just saying that you're not obligated to speak. You're not obligated to make certain facial expressions. So for me, masks are just the best of both worlds because people that I don't really know or people that I don't know at all, those social cues of having to like smile or nod or have a brief conversation are thrown out of the window, and. If there's someone I really want to talk to, I can take my mask down, and that's almost like a sign of respect, and then I can have a conversation. All I'm saying is that Darth Vader must have been a pretty antisocial guy. Oh, uh, yeah, no kidding there. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he, yeah, I, I, w- I would give that to him. <laughs> I know this wasn't on our original thing, but if you feel like you've stated your case, I feel like we can move on. Um, have you have you seen the uh, the newest uh, Star Wars? I mean, it's been a while. It's been out for five months. Uh, I, I didn't see it because I heard it was a big disappointment from the people that did go and see it. Um, okay, that, that's interesting. See, last time, we, we did discuss The Last Jedi, um, many, a long, a long time ago. A long, long time ago in a podcast far, far away. Why wouldn't you want to see it if you're a fairly, you know, if you're, you're, you're a reasonable, you know, fan of the franchise where you've seen other films and you've, you know, interacted with it that way? I mean, it, it's the same reason why you watch Godfather 1 and Godfather 2, which you never watch. Don't watch Godfather, Godfather 3. 3. <laughs> it's like you just enjoyed the first couple of movies that much that you don't want to see character arcs sort of just get destroyed in the last couple episodes. Like, I was watching um, Community, which, like, goes downhill I'm not, I'm after, like, familiar. season 3. It's like this TV show that used to be on NBC. Uh it just goes totally downhill after the first three seasons. And it's almost like watching like these character arcs that you expect it to go somewhere, just get completely slaughtered by new writers or okay. an impetuous to get on episodes fast. And it's just, it's just bad. It just ruins I, it for me. You know what? Actually, this is a good unplanned topic. I'll tell you this. I've been watching my fair share of movies and shows over this uh, quarantine period. And, and I think it's actually worth talking about. Because I've seen some real classics over this time. I, I I've seen Godfather one and two. I've seen uh, I've seen Goodfellas. I've seen um, Blade Runner. I've seen Inception. I've seen um, a couple. I'm trying to think. There's some other ones I watched that are just kind of slipping my mind. I've finished for over like a year and a half. I finished the TV series How I Met Your Mother. Um, Classic. That had nothing to do with being inside. That was actually just we've been watching that for a long, long time. What were your thoughts on Godfather Two compared to Godfather One? What are your thoughts on that? I um I'm trying to remember. I watched this a little bit ago, and so I, uh so so Godfather One and Two. I'm trying to kind of remember the God Godfather <laughs> One so is God. where like the. Well, like yeah, yeah, Vito, yeah, Vito, and he's like, <laughs> actually, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, now, now I'm just kind of remembering. I like Godfather Two. Okay, that's just such a bad take. That's no, I'm sorry. I like Godfather Two more than Godfather One. I'll tell you why. I will tell you why. I I can justify this. So, so Godfather One was was interesting. 
you know, you have, like, the sun. I mean, there might be some, like, vague spoilers or spoilers. I don't really know. I mean, it's a pretty classic movie. If the you... movie came out, like, 30 years ago. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I think we have to worry about that. So, um, so Godfather 1 is basically the story of, you know, a son. He was off, like, the military. And the father kind of gets involved in some – he gets involved with some, like – I mean, he's already, a, like, a mob don. So, you know, he's, he's already involved with some bad people. But he ends up getting into kind of a war. And they have this whole thing where he – goes on a mission to like assassinate the people that are threatening his father and then as a series of hits he ends up taking over the family and he completely eliminates all the competition and there's like that whole interplay with like the baptism and like the killings and like you know you have yeah. the whole like it's interesting it's interesting it's a story you know but for me i actually like godfather 2 better because it it, it managed in my opinion very well to integrate two completely separate stories be both a prequel and a sequel at the same time. And I just appreciated the ability to weave those stories together That's and, true. and present two completely different plots that could have easily been two completely different movies as one unified movie that made a lot of cohesive sense. I mean, Godfather 2 could have been two different movies. It was like three hours, 30 <laughs> minutes long. <laughs> but, uh, yes, no, agreed. But I'm saying that the fact that they were able to put them together, but it worked, is impressive yeah, on its own. Definitely. And I have a lot of respect for that. Definitely. I also feel like, I don't know, for me, and maybe this is just, I just didn't resonate with this. Like, I didn't, I wasn't really sold on Mike's, like, Michael's, like, progression from just a normal, kind of, uh, fairly honorable individual into, like, a killer and a mob boss. I just didn't, I wasn't sold on that transformation. Like, what what do you mean by sold? Because I think, I mean, the the entire movie is about how he progresses from someone who's trying to stay out of you know the family business pursue a career more honorable but ends up inextricably getting tied up in a series of mob affairs in an attempt to you know make his like i think at the end of the movie there's that dialogue where his dad is like you know i always wanted there to be uh, a senator corleone not necessarily yeah. a mobster yeah. corleone which i think is like the entire movie where he has that character progression to something that even is you know, own parents didn't want him to be. I don't know. I, I feel like that character yeah, progression exists yeah. pretty clearly in the movie. Are you, are you catching some Siri audio yeah. in there? <laughs> One sec, let me... <laughs> yeah, it's all good, it's all good. You know um, what movie has really good character progression? What? Incredibles. I have not watched Incredibles in a while, but I a lot of people really like it. And we, we've talked about, we've talked about, um, haven't we talked about Pixar? On this yeah, no, I, I think my take about The Incredibles that I've expressed before is just that um, the antagonist becomes almost relatable because at the beginning of the movie, he like wants to be part of the fan club. Uh, he's rejected, and then he sort of devolves into this monster that does all of this. Yeah. That. Incredibles but, 2, not quite as good. Not quite yeah, as but good. On, on some level, you still feel an enormous amount of sympathy for him, right? Yeah, so. sure, sure, sure. Um, I guess my point about like Michael Corleone or Corleone, or whatever, however you pronounce that. I'm supposed to be able to know how to pronounce that. Like, is, is I don't know. I just, <laughs> what does that I, mean, I'm supposed to be able to know? Well, yeah, yeah, I got that half Mamma Mia, you know? <laughs> so I got I to gotta have some, some, in any case, I feel like I, I wasn't 100% convinced that those are the decisions that he would have made, assuming he was, like, a real person. His so, own family is at stake, right? Like, his dad uh, yeah, is I, I, I kind of see that, but, you know, he, like, walks in, he takes the gun, he, like, shoots two of them down, he drops it, and he just runs, he goes to, like, Sicily or whatever, right? 
but it's not like he came out of the military and then that, that's like scene number two. It's, it's, <laughs> no, it's him, I, I, I agree. I agree. It's it's him realizing that there's you know, his dad is slowly progressing out. His brother's a hothead, can never manage the family business, and someone has to step up to the plate. And he realizes it has to be him, even if that's against the wishes of his own father. Uh, you know what? I don't know how this podcast has become you convincing me that your takes on mo- on, <laughs> on media are correct. But, but I see that. I see that. You know, I just – for me, I just – I wasn't as engaged with that as I was with the second where he's already kind of in it. And he has to confront the fact that as much as he said, oh, I want to go straight. I want to go straight. You know, I want to be honest. He hasn't done that. He hasn't made good on that. I, I mean, the, the only argument for one being better than two is just that, like, the plot – of two doesn't make sense or isn't as intriguing without all the events that occurred in one, like two in isolation wouldn't be a good movie, but no, no, of course not. No, to me, to me, that's just a better argument for two because it just proves that it was a good sequel. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great sequel. And again, it's a sequel and a prequel, which I have a lot of, I have a lot of respect for that kind of aspect of it. That's all I can say. Um, that, that movie format actually makes a lot of sense, like to intertwine both the origin story and the progression. So I get what you're saying. I, I never watched Godfather 3 because I've heard it's a complete waste of time. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. Um, on to other, if, 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 you know, I feel like, you know, we, we've covered The Godfather pretty extensively. On to some other, like, real classic film, like Blade, Blade Runner, okay? Are you familiar with Blade Runner? Have you seen I've, Blade Runner? I've watched, like, the, I think it was a Ryan Gosling Blade Runner. I haven't watched the old. Is it, is it like, the new one? Like, the yeah, I've, I've 2049 the or whatever? Yeah, I haven't watched the old Blade Runner. So the old Blade Runner, see, again, I, I watched it, and, and it's about the idea that there's these, what are they called, replicants, I think they call them? Like, these non-human, like, they're biologically human, but they're artificial to the point where they lack certain human characteristics, like, complex emotional response. Yeah. And they're used as kind of, like, slaves more so than, you know, they're, like, idealized for a certain task. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's kind of their purpose. And they have a three-year lifespan, and they will just drop dead after three years. And that's supposed to be like a safety mechanism to prevent them from like going AWOL. Right. Right. And are, the whole plot. Are, are these like like robots, or are they? Like... They they are, and that's the interesting thing. I believe they are presented as largely biological, but modified to the point where whether or not they are human is debatable, and that becomes the central premise of the film. Interesting. Interesting. Um. They are, they are definitely biological. I just feel like the film kind of – the premise that it presents is far more interesting than the story it told. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying there? I yeah. think there are movies like that Yeah. Um, where, where the premise – right. So, so like it, it presents a more interesting question, but it doesn't answer it in a way that I find particularly interesting as a plot. So like you, know, you have Harrison Ford, and he's what's called a, a Blade Runner. And yeah. he goes and he um, – is is tasked with hunting down these rogue replicants, yeah, killing and, and you know killing them. So he goes, and he ends up like meeting like an advanced like replicant woman, who has more like emotions, like is a more advanced model that's more right. human. I mean, and, and I think that's the central problem with the movies that we're told, you know, oh these replicants need to be hunted. I was never convinced that they weren't human, so that the climax of the movie has them like stating their case, and it's like a big aha moment. Because right. so he goes and hunts them down. It's literally just like an hour and a half of him like getting into fights. I mean, it's Harrison Ford. He's cool. Like we, we can all yeah. respect him. But, like <laughs> we can all respect Harrison Ford. Like we can give up. But it's just him like hunting them down, 
Um, the, what they want to learn is when they're going to die, right? And that's what they're searching for, that information. Right. And yes, it's very interesting. Like the, one of the, you know, the lead kind of most advanced, most dangerous of the replicants has this interesting dialogue. But at the end of the movie, he has this whole thing where he's like, he states his case. He's dying. He's realized that his expiration date is here. And he's like with Harrison Ford on a roof. Um, and he saves Harrison Ford, even yeah. though they were fighting, you know, because that's how it goes. And he has this whole spiel about how he's seen things, how he's seen things that, you know, normal people can't even imagine. And that whole like, having those experiences like makes him human and then there's like this metaphor with like him throwing like a dove into the air and it's like his spirit like going away and stuff i found that a little cheesy a little bit a little bit like on the nose <laughs> but but for me there again as i as i said i'll reiterate it right now that i provided the details like there wasn't enough of a reason for me to believe they weren't human other than the fact that they had a, a three-year expiration date and had some issue with emotions i didn't have enough of a reason to think they weren't human to have that big like Definitely. revelation I, I, I... I think the general consensus that you and I have is that movies don't sell the antagonist enough. Like it, it um, I wouldn't. I, I think movies get interesting when you sympathize with the antagonist. So if if there was a part of the movie where they had presented like an interesting case about those replicants being purely machines and right. disposable, that would have probably made the movie more compelling for you. It it tells it tries to make a lot of good points. But I feel like it never does the setup necessary for any of them to pay off. Yeah. Where the questions become more interesting than the answers presented. The other movie that reminds me of is, um, have you seen Minority Report? Like the Tom Cruise movie? I have not. I, I'm, I'm familiar with the plot. I think something to do with like peop- arresting people before they've committed a crime or something. Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. To me, the plot is really interesting, but the movie is like, okay, at best. Yeah, yeah. I, it's centered more around like, the action sequences, then yeah, exploring yeah, yeah. sort of this ethical dilemma with, you know, like, can you really, if you do have an accurate prediction of someone committing a crime, is it just to stop them from committing it before they yeah, actually engage in the act? Which is an interesting thing to think about and what it justifies. Exactly. And so you're saying that, and I feel like that parallels to Blade Runner where I felt like most of it was Harrison Ford shoots people for like an hour. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that those action sequences are good. Like I, I wouldn't want to lose those action sequences because Harrison Ford shooting down robots is always going to be cool. But but are they robots? Oh, oh, big question. Big question. Like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I agree. It's just, it just, it's a contrast to the, to the deep, the deep nature of the, 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 the message, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Um, well, what were your thoughts on Goodfellas in comparison to the Oh, uh, Goodfellas. Um, Goodfellas, I thought actually was, I really liked the the narration aspect of it. I just enjoyed that kind of like retrospective, like style. Where, you know, where he's like, I, I thought the opening scene was brilliant in my opinion. I I don't know. I just really yeah. liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where they're driving and they pull over, they're like, oh, you know, something's something here, and they just go and they just like shank the guy, and then it cuts to. <laughs> Ever since I was like a kid, I always knew I wanted to be a gangster. Like I just thought that that wrote me in immediately. Like that was I like that. In my I mean, uh, w- one part of Scorsese directing that I really like is just the freeze frame where the yeah yeah, yeah the yeah, shot I, stops but the narration continues. I, I I like that because I mean I, I was watching Goodfellas like for the second or third time, and you can just tell that the freeze frames, like if you just measure the density of freeze frames in the movie, it always correlates to something bad happening. 
like the more freeze frames there are, the more you're like, okay, stuff's about to go down right now. Yeah, I, I, I just enjoy the, the structure of it from that perspective. Well, you have the narration, you know, you have the kind of, yeah, again, the freeze frames are very effective because it kind of lets you like absorb like what's happening to a certain extent. And you get like the narration, you get the exposition. How, I like have, it. have you seen the movie Casino that's also directed? I no. think by Okay, you should watch it. And I'll just give away the first scene because like if you watch it, it's like the first yeah, scene yeah, in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's basically this guy walking into a car and then the car gets blown up, which is also the ending of the movie. But yeah, the it's thing one of is those. that they give away the ending at the beginning of the movie. So the entire movie is just like trying to figure out how that ending eventually happens. And I feel like plot spoilers are in some cases bad, but in some cases so rewarding because it just makes every single little thing that happens earlier in the movie feel uh, yeah. intentional and a little bit more captivating. Huh. That's pretty interesting. I, 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 I'll watch I, that. I, I'm trying to think. I have like a watch list that I actually, I'm going to pull that up just because I'm interested in seeing what I have on there. I've looked at it in a bit. I, I think plot spoilers in limited instances are good. Like if, for, for some movies, that, like I think if you're watching Get Out, I, I, I think the plot spoiler is probably bad. You should just watch it a second time. But for some movies, I think plot spoilers are good. And I think Casino is one of those movies. So I'm happy they put the last scene as the first scene. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I watched The Matrix, but I did that like a while before quarantine. And I thought The Matrix was interesting because it did um, have a lot of action, obviously. The whole like plot thing with like The One, I felt that was kind <laughs> of unnecessary. The whole like premise of like the dream world I enjoy that. It kind of messed me up. Not gonna lie, like, kind of, kind of messed with my mind. I enjoyed that a lot. I mean, talking about dream worlds. What were your thoughts on Inception? Inception. I thought that was almost a little too dense to a degree. I, uh, you, you yeah, don't I have to agree with me. Through. It just there was a lot of like rules, and and it didn't always explain why those were the case, and it was just kind of like doing stuff a lot but not always necessarily explain i don't know i don't know how to explain it it was an interesting concept i think the matrix did that whole concept a little better uh, I, I i guess i just what I, I was having a hard time wrapping my head around when i first watched inception it's yeah. just i mean it centers around the premise at the very end with like the dreidel or it's not a dreidel but the the, the, the spinning the, yeah, the of course they don't show you how it like whether it falls. Right, of course, but of I course. mean, it it does start to like wobble at the end, and you're just like, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. it's just like, I mean, if the movie centers around whether or not you really know if that's like your dream world or you know your actual reality, quote unquote. I mean, initially when watching the movie, I was like, that's a scary prospect, but then. After I thought about it for a little bit, if your dream world and your reality are practically indistinguishable and, you know, you feel the same way in both, you act the same way in both, and you can live the same way in both, I don't yeah. see any reason why your reality is preferable over, you know, this dream or hypothetical reality. I don't see any reason yeah, yeah. why you would feel compelled to stake out your original world. No, I, I think I get what you're saying. I think that the, you know, they're treating reality as a concept that has some intrinsic value, of course, you know, in, in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but, you know, then, then there's that argument, like, is that, does that actually matter? For me, that just, that whole message just got wrapped around this whole, like, 
oh, if you're in a dream, then it's like three times as long as this. And so you're in the dream for like 60 <laughs> years, but it's actually like three seconds. They're and they have to like, like sink everything. They have to like throw the people out of the dreams <laughs> by blowing them up. Like, and then, you know, they have like the dream cocktail. And like, if you go too deep, you can't come out. But of course you can, because of course it's a film. And like the people are there, but it's his dream, but it's your memories on his dream, but you're designing the memories in his dream that's in your dream, and then your conscious goes into the dream, even though the dream is not yours. Like there's just so much stuff I, that they I, had I, to deal with technically that just didn't that I, had to sort yeah. of be assumed. I feel like the movie could have been a lot simpler for the ultimate payoff. I think the yeah, payoff is yeah. good. It's like a good question that's posed at the end. Exactly, a good question. Movies that bring up good <laughs> questions that that are more interesting or more compelling or more more like I, it's a bigger payoff to think of the question than it was to like watch the movie. But the the one thing that gets me about the Matrix is I feel like the the main character obviously really loves um that woman. I forgot. I forget either of their names. Um, but... I want to say her name was trinity oh no i'm talking about inception i'm, I'm talking about inception oh inception like um oh gosh that i don't, I can't keep anyone straight in that film because <laughs> half of them like aren't real or something like when the main character is searching for uh his like wife or romantic other or whatever oh but right? where she's like a like she doesn't realize like yeah yeah, yeah. i feel he like does the inception thing see that was interesting but I feel like the plot development of like his emotional connection to her wasn't there. Like I, well, I, you I just have really to assume they've been married. You know, they have kids. Like, let's just assume you know they must love each other, right? But I, I, I just I wasn't sold that like he loved her so much that he had to go through all of that. I feel like that plot development was really lackluster. Fair enough. I I also think that the whole the one thing that did get me about that movie is the whole thing where he put the idea in her head and he was like, "This isn't real," right? But then that like idea stuck with her. Like that kind of. I won't say like it freaked me out, but like that that part of it was was interesting and kind of impactful in a way. Like, I, I I guess the risk is right. If, for example, this is reality, right? And I have like a set of friends and people I enjoy hanging out with in this reality, and I escape to this dream world through that briefcase, right? I I no longer am here in this reality. Like I'm just like this lifeless entity, and yeah, my all my thoughts and my non-physical self are in this dream world so if in this dream world i'm not sure if that dream world is reality or a dream i can continue living my life with no repercussions and there's no meaningful difference but there is the possibility that back in quote-unquote reality all of my loved ones are there but i'm not and i'm not able to interact with them i mean the calculus is how much do you care about other people or how much do you care about other people wanting you there i guess yeah I don't know. It's, it's a weird yeah. proposition. Yeah, and again, th these are the kind of questions that come out of movies that may not present their questions as well. Uh, as well as, you know, they could have been. Um, I want to make one note. One note about Blade Runner. The, the book that Blade Runner is based on is called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And I just want to say, I love that title. And that really <laughs> gives me the vibes of like, like that, that's, you know those like statements that you say like, in response to, like, an obvious statement, like, you know, like, is the Pope Catholic? Like, you know, like, are you going to the thing today? Like, is the Pope Catholic? Like, do androids dream of electric sheep? Like, I think that works. And I feel like that that's a phrase I want to integrate into my vocabulary because it's quite grand, and I like it. And that's the last thing I have to say on movies, poignant movies or classic movies, <laughs> unless you have any other ones you'd like to bring up because those are the main ones that I 
interacted with? Um, no, I think that pretty much covers it. I just gangster <laughs> movies are always great. They, they, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. I can't argue with that. Um, and then I guess that would take us to our last subject, which I just think is interesting. But the classification of ideologies, and 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 so we have to start with the the classic premise of left and right politics, right? If you ask your average Joe, you have left and you have right, and those are the the two wings of politics. You you know you'd call them you know liberalism and conservatism, right? Are kind of the the two ends, you know, conservatism being on the right, liberalism being on, on the left. And then, you know, if you want to assign them like, you know, political parties in the United States, you would say, you know, Republicans are on the right, Democrats are on the left, right? And that, that's, that's sort of this, this w- one-dimensional linear sense of, of – um, Like a spectrum. You know, political – yeah, the political spectrum. And then the real big brain people <laughs> decided that we need, we need more because you also have – the, the you, you have multiple concepts within that this two-dimensional model of politics puts statism on a vertical axis and like economic you know collectivism or corporatism on a second axis you know and that becomes the basis of where you are on the compass so you could be authoritarian right authoritarian left libertarian left libertarian right and I think that's interesting you know the whole like idea of like one-dimensional politics is stupid and two-dimensional actually works. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because we can go one step further, and that's what I plan to do in my expose on, on the d- dimensions of politics. <laughs> what, are you, what are your thoughts on this current system? I, I gotta think, ask. I think two dimensions is the, the happy medium for me because... <laughs> oh, you, just to wait. <laughs> you start adding more dimensions and it just gets to a level of complexity that kind of defeats the entire purpose of trying to chart your political opinion. I, I think that's valid. I think that's why a lot of people enjoy the two-dimensional. It's, it, it's still simple. You think, oh, I'm lib-right, I'm lib-left, you know, I'm, I'm off-right, whatever you are, right? But I think there's room, and I got this idea from uh, the popular YouTuber, uh, I believe they pronounce his name uh, Dreg, and, and he's a complete, like, political, like, satire guy, but, like, to a, to a ridiculous degree. But he, gives, he has this idea. The three-dimensional political axis. Ready, ready. So, so you see, left, right, you have like, like the, you know, you still have the economic, you still have the status, but you have like a, a z-axis that's cultural, right? What does it mean to be culturally right? Like, is that? It means that you. It means it's traditionalism as opposed to progressivism. Okay. Okay. So we're we're finally getting okay that axis. Oh, so so, so, so it's, it's it's statism, like libertarianism. Progressivism, traditionalism, and then like collectivism versus corporatism. Boom! Yeah. This is it. This is this is it. This is he's huge, right? But I feel like why why stop at three axes? No, right? no, why no. And there's also a test called like four axes, right? But instead of like marking them on like an X, Y, Z, like M, like crazy four dimensional graph, it just places you on each axis, right? And there's there's an eight there's an eight axis one about like globalism versus like isolationism and like. I mean, there's there's a bunch of access ones. It's just, you know, what 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 is what is the simplest you can get while also being definitively meaningful and have depth. I I feel like the two, the the two axes <laughs> one fulfills that need for me. Perhaps, I think three, perhaps three axes brings it to it an unnecessary level of complexity, which I I can get behind if you're trying to create an accurate assessment of someone's political beliefs. But 
I don't think the value add is there to justify adding in entirely new axes. We're actually approaching, we are approaching like an hour of recording here, which is the typical length of our podcast. Um, so maybe we should start wrapping it up. I think we had a, uh, we had a pretty good uh, spread of topics. We had, to summarize, we had, um, we had uh, face, face masks, face masks, classic films, and political axes. Maybe that's not the quite right, right the way. I can't speak today. I'm sorry. And maybe that's not <laughs> quite the correct way to title this episode, but we will figure it out. Um, we're glad to have gotten this back. We are glad to have uh, gotten another episode in. Within uh, the decade. Within this decade. We will have more coming <laughs> soon. Um, we are, you know, having a good time with this. And uh, I think usually we'd end on um, – we'd end on, like, some last-minute thoughts, last-minute tips. That sort of thing. I mean, I, I think my tip is abundantly clear. Wear a face mask, <laughs> Wear a at, all face times. mask at all times. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess my tip, well, for one, um, I, uh, as my uh, gaming headset will tell you, I am an absolute pro epic gamer. Yeah. That is completely false, <laughs> um, by the way. <laughs> but I would say right now, Civilization Six is free on the Epic Games Store. That is a good game. You should get it. It's about playing as historical nations, but plotting your own kind of course, settling cities, conquering cities, developing a culture so irresistible that you just kind of take over the world that way, launching spaceships to Mars, becoming elected leader of the world. You can just win in a bunch of different ways. You can make the Golden Gate Bridge in China while settling the New World in 1220 <laughs> AD and and while being at war with the um with the um the Mali civilization who have set up shop in Central Asia it is incredible it is it is a great game you've heard my take about like single use items right like items that only serve like like, like like minimalist kind of like minimalist design in terms of like it does its per it does its one function yeah, yeah, like yeah, things yeah. that only do one thing. I think, like, I broke out the 3DS recently. You told me about that, yeah. I was just playing, like, I, I forgot which Zelda it is, but just, like, one of the... Oh, like, like Majora's, the Mask? I, I, Majora's Mask? I don't remember or... the specific one, but I don't know. There's just something that's way more enjoyable about that than, like, play a game on my iPad or something. I, like I have to agree. Use. I have yeah. to agree. Some mobile games, I mean, I don't want to knock them, but, like, Mobile mobile gaming has always been kind of strange because it's integrated with like your calling and your texting and your social media ing. There's something appealing about consoles, I think. And even even when people say like, Oh, I have a PS4, but all I do on it is watch like Blu-ray discs. Like, what are you doing, man? Like <laughs> you watch Netflix through your PS4. Like, I get it, like it works. But to a certain extent that almost dilutes the appeal. And I have to agree with that. Like having a gaming device for gaming, there's an appeal to that. Yeah. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. And it's frustrating because everyone's trying to move away from single-use items, right? And and, and, and it kind of makes – I mean, you can't deny that to an extent it kind of um, makes makes sense. I mean, you know, you want to move towards consolidation, less, you know, waste, less need to, you know, consume many products. I mean, at least for me, right? Having my music library and a place where I can text other people in one place is probably a good thing because if I'm going for a walk and listening to music, 
I also need to be in contact in case like an emergency happens or anything. But like playing Legend yeah. of Zelda and having access to text at the same time is yeah. something I never need to do, right? But yeah, if yeah. I'm playing it, I'm just in a situation where I'm kind of checked out already. No, granted, I play a lot of PC games, so I'm kind of a hypocrite because like PC gaming runs in that same issue where you can just go on YouTube instead. Like, <laughs> but but at least I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So so this is actually ended up a little mini segment. A little mini bonus segment on like gaming, gaming consoles and, and stuff like that. I like that. Um, I think that unless you have any other uh, further tips or um, you know anything like that, any wisdom to drop on us, I think that might just conclude our first episode back and our first episode recorded by remote. First episode of the second season. That's um that's pretty good and and i guess i guess it's just kind of official that it's the overthinker season two now because <laughs> we've just gone so long that nothing can explain our absence other than a hiatus uh intended after the season finale <laughs> um hopefully we can get some more episodes you know coming out to our adoring fan soon <laughs> and uh what can i say other than keep on thinking everybody